I was on a panel with Michael Lewis, Brad Stevens, and Sue Bird. It was on clutch performing and choking. And Michael Lewis, you know, in the middle of it, just turned to Sue Bird and he asked her, have you ever choked? And she pauses and then she goes, no, but I've missed a lot. What you see is, again, a glimpse into how she processes things. I would bet she'd say a miss isn't a failure. And what it does is it creates just a little space between the tasks that you're doing and you, yourself, and your competency and self-worth. And what that does is it gives you, I think, the freedom to take those risks, potentially, quote-unquote, fail, but then bounce back off of them because that's not the game you're playing. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend, Brad Stolberg. Brad, what's going on, my man? I'm doing pretty well, Steve. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today because we're going to talk a little bit of basketball, and uh, I love talking basketball. That's right. Basketball, and for those who aren't sports fanatics, don't worry. We're going to talk about failure, losing, which happens in all of life. But before we get there... If you don't want Brad and I to fail, then the best thing that you can do is support our work. There's two main ways to do that. First is to check out our latest books, Mind Do Hard Things, Brad's The Practice of Groundedness. And secondly, join our Patreon group, where every month you can join us on Zoom for a um, monthly book club. You can join us for a quarterly mastermind group. And you can get a signed copy of whatever our new book is, whenever it comes out. So there's all sorts of other great stuff. It helps us support the newsletter. It helps us do this podcast. It helps us from pitching crazy things as sponsors. So, you know, support our work so that Brad and I don't fail and our wives don't yell at us for failing and podcasting. Wow, Steve, that was a really downer way to, uh, to, to go out and seek support. Man, we're talking about failure, but you don't have to be in all failure mode. Um, so I'll echo what Steve says with a little bit more enthusiasm. Support the work, check out our Patreon, and uh, also have friends listen to this podcast. Share it with your colleagues. Uh, at the end of the day, we really want to give you all some language for concepts that are important and nuanced and um, help you bring them to your communities. So the other way to help us is to, uh, to share the show. All right. Well, let me set the stage. Uh, just over a week ago, the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks, the top rated team in the Eastern conference with one of the top three players in the league, Giannis Antetokounmpo lost in the first round of the playoffs to the eight seed Miami heat. This was an upset of fairly epic proportions. I don't have the data, but it's very rare that an eight seed beats a one seed in the playoffs, and the series didn't even go the full seven games. The Miami Heat made pretty quick work of the Bucks, And in the immediate aftermath of the loss, at a presser, a reporter asked Giannis Antetokounmpo, again, the NBA's arguably best, if not top three player, if, um, if the season was a failure. 
And Giannis got visibly frustrated and he said, it's not a failure. It's a step to success. There's always steps to it. Michael Jordan played 15 years and won six championships. The other nine years were a failure. Every year you don't get promoted at your job. That's what he asked the reporter. Is that a failure? And he went on in this kind of spirit. And the interview um, quickly made rounds around the internet. Giannis got a lot of praise. He also got some pushback for his remarks because um, you could argue that the Bucks did fail. They lost in the playoffs. Their coach was fired four or five days later. Uh, the two other superstars, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, are still playing basketball. They're competing for a championship. Giannis is at home or on the golf course. Although knowing Giannis is probably back in the gym already. But um, we thought that we'd have more than 280 characters to unpack this a bit. It's also the main feature in this week's newsletter. Um, so we're just going to go a little bit deeper into what I was thinking when I wrote that post and get Steve's perspective on it too. Um, because as Steve said, we, we all fail. And on the one hand, we don't want to just say there's no such thing as failing because that's not true. That's kind of participation trophy culture. And I don't think either of us think that's a good thing. But on the other hand, there is kind of no such thing as failing until you die because you're going to wake up and do something the next day. So um, this is really about how to relate to failure. And we're going to use Giannis's uh, presser as a, as a jumping off point. All right. So here, here's what I think. When people hear this, and if you looked on the internet, like, you know, one of the, the criticisms, as you pointed out, is, oh, but like they did fail. And I think we have to make a definition or a distinction here between, we'll call it the like black and white objective, <laughs> like definition, and then how we interpret and process things. And I think the more interesting thing is the clue that this provides on how Giannis interprets and processes things. And in his world, it's processing, it's when he says, essentially, like, you know, this isn't a failure, you know, whatever you said on the quote, what he's, what he's showing the world is, like, this is how I interpret and process things. And that I put a little space in between losing a game and quote-unquote failure. Failure seems something that is bigger, that is often interpreted as more personal, etc. And I think he does that, A, to kind of, and we know that from some psychology research, actually, we do this to to essentially um, protect might be the wrong word, but essentially protect our sense of self a little bit, our self-worth and our competency. So if we see it as I failed, that attacks us, and our kind of view of how good we are at the job. And by like reinterpreting failure as like this long-term thing of, no, I didn't, we lost the game, but I didn't fail because we like tried to get better and grow and all that stuff. What that does is it, it prevents Giannis from like taking the full brunt of like, this really sucks. I'm a failure. Am I ever going to win? Except, or am I good enough? Et cetera. That spiraling that can occur. So it's this protective mechanism to a degree. And other athletes, you know, when I read, when I saw this, it reminded me of, gosh, a couple months ago, I was on a panel with Michael Lewis, Brad Stevens, and Sue Bird. And I remember it was on clutch performing and choking. And Michael Lewis, you know, in the middle of it, just turned to Sue Bird and he says, he asked her, 
have you ever choked? And she pauses for a second, and then she goes, no, but I've missed a lot. And if you went back and you looked at some of her misses, like sometimes they were in big moments. And someone on the outside might be go, go, oh, that's kind of a technical definition of choking. Maybe, maybe not. But what you see is, again, a glimpse into how she processes things. A miss isn't a choke. Or a miss isn't, I would, I would bet she'd say, a miss isn't a failure. And what it does is it creates just a little space between the tasks that you're doing and you, yourself, and your competency and self-worth and what have you. And what that does is it gives you, I think, the freedom to take those risks, potentially, quote-unquote, fail, but then bounce back off of them because like, that's not the, that's not the game you're playing. Yeah, I wrote about this a little bit in the newsletter of it. There's finite games and infinite games, um, which is framing from a, a gem of a book that was published in the mid-1980s by James Kars. And a finite game is a game where there's clear rules and a timeline and you win and lose. In an infinite game, the goal is just to keep playing. And I think that what is challenging for people to understand is that you can want to win and play as hard as possible in a finite game. And when you're in the finite game and you're like really... Um, playing with your all, then that does become the only thing. But the minute the finite game's over, it's about like zooming out and adopting an infinite perspective. And that's true if you win too, right? This prevents you from becoming a, a crazy egomaniac. Um, and I think it's that finite game that gives you some perspective. I know your friend, I always forget her last name, Phoebe, the 800 runner. Phoebe What's Wright. her last name? Phoebe Wright, yeah. So Phoebe Wright would talk about how on the start line of a race when she got really nervous, she would just be like, I'm running around a track for like two laps and like, no one's going to love me less if I don't perform well. Uh, in the scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Well, in the scheme of things, like that's the infinite game. And she's kind of reminding herself of that to your point, because it gets her out of threat mode. Um, if, if she were to fail, I think that where people on the sideline, make a, um, a mistake or a poor interpretation is when they assign what Giannis said to basically like everyone gets a trophy culture. And if you watch Giannis play and you know anything about Giannis's work ethic, it's clear that when he is playing the game, all he wants to do is crush it and win. Like Giannis is not protecting himself and is not lollygagging through the NBA playoffs. But the minute that that game is over, he's able to zoom out instead of get too attached to the result and kind of spiral into despair, which I think is is a really healthy thing for all of us to do. It's like, how can we hold these two ideas at once, right? That we want to win the finite game and not fail. But the minute that that game's over, we want to we wanna zoom out and, and put it in the perspective of, um, of an infinite game. And then the one more thing that I'll say is... Giannis was not raised in America. He's Greek. Um, so some of this is just like potentially a little bit of a language issue as well. I think if Giannis, like what I think Giannis was trying to say is like, or let, let me reframe how I interpret this is the Bucks season was a failure. And, and, and I think at the start of the podcast, Steve, you said like in black and white mode. So in black and white mode or whatever, the Bucks season was a failure. They didn't win a championship. They were a top seed. Their coach got fired. Like there were very real repercussions. But on the long road of success, 
which my guess is Giannis defines as being the best basketball player and helping his team win as much as they can, well then, no, this isn't a failure because that road is still ongoing. The only failure would be if Giannis decided this hurt too much, so I'm never going to play again. Yeah, you know, there's two things that come to mind here, and I'm going to bring this to the world of track because I think it makes it very concrete, is there's there's like one big goal, <laughs> like let's go all the way, is like maybe it's to win the Olympic Games or whatever have you. Well, then we go down a, a layer and maybe it's to qualify for that. Then we go down a layer and maybe it's to qualify for the national championship. And then we can go down another layer to personal and say, oh, it's to run my best time ever, right? My personal record or maybe a season record. So you have all these various layers. And what I'm, I think that Giannis is getting at here is I, I don't even know if he'd use the word failure on the season, but there's different layers of judgment in comparison. And if we only judge ourselves against the highest level, winning the Olympics, winning the NBA finals, we're, we're gonna be disappointed the v- majority of time in, in track. And the reason I like to go here, even if I judge myself against myself, my best version of myself, my, fastest mile or 5k or 10k I've run ever 95% of the time I'm going to quote unquote fail if that's the the kind of standard so I think you know while people sit there and they're like oh of course you fail 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 but like you know if I don't run a personal record in a race I don't judge it as a failure because that's not how I'm judging my season or my race and I think with athletes at this high level is of course they want to win. Of course, they want to have the championship. And when I go into a race, of course, I want to run a personal best or win the race. But if that's my only judgment, I'm going to be absolutely miserable. And I'm not going to stick around. And I think sometimes when you're not in you know, decent high-level sport, you, you kind of miss that. Because if I think back to even going back to high school, you know, 95% of the time I didn't fail because I was a high schooler growing and developing and training. So it was much easier to improve, even to win, to like set records. You would do it at every, you know, several times every, every season you would improve. But that becomes fewer and farther between as you get better. And the same thing applies to the rest of things as life is as you get closer to that, it becomes harder. So that's, I think, one nuance. The other nuance I want to get at that I think you know, this kind of gets at, and maybe it's the American culture, but I think we've, we confuse caring. We, we have the wrong idea for caring, right? And you kind of got at this where Giannis in the middle of, of a game is like focused and all in and giving his best. He cares a hundred percent. But from the outside, I think often what we do is we see maybe someone who's not miserable after or not viewing this as like a complete and abject failure. And we say, Oh, that they must not care. But I think that's again, our mistake for the wrong idea of, of it's almost like we need to know when to care and when to put a little space. And the example I like to give here is, um, is, you know, what, Gosh, a couple of years ago, I think it was maybe two years ago, it was the University of Texas football team. And one of their coaches got caught on video just berating the players on the bus and just being like, 
why are you guys talking? We just got our ass kicked, blah, blah, blah. You guys shouldn't be laughing on the bus and, you know, you should be essentially miserable. And the implication there is we lost, so you should be miserable so that you should show you care. When the reality is probably the best thing for those players to do to get over that loss so that they can refocus and get ready for the next game was probably to decompress and take that stress off so they can move on from that game, be in a better headspace so they can learn from it and compete the next, you know, next week or whatever have you. But I think too often we have this idea that we have to kind of be miserable and sulking and whatever to show that we quote unquote care when we lose. And all that does is is backfire. Yeah, it's the ability to turn on the switch and then turn it off. Um, I mean, these are the same people that have never competed at a high level that get upset at athletes when they're shaking hands and joking after the game. And they're like, they should want to kill each other. And it's like, well, before the buzzer went off, they did want to kill each other. And if you watch the game closely, they were killing each other. They were at each other's necks. But after the game... There's camaraderie because they're all doing the same 82-game grind and they're traveling and they're trying to take care of their bodies and and so on and so forth. Um, So I think that's a really good nuance point, too, that um, you can care a lot, but then you can turn the switch off. And whether that means shifting to another area of your life or just thinking like, all right, I either lost or I won this finite game, but like, what's the infinite game I'm playing here? And for Giannis, it's to be as, as, as good of a career basketball player as possible right now. Um, and I do think that, you know, had Giannis said, like, this was an, maybe, it, but Giannis isn't a pro writer. So, like, by no means am I throwing shade, right? I don't get paid to play basketball. I get paid to write. Maybe if Giannis would have said, like, is this an acute failure? Yes. But in the long arc of my career in the Bucks organization, this is just a step to success because we learned, we did things. And if I thought that every time I didn't win a championship, I failed, then I'd be a very unhappy player and that wouldn't be good. But Giannis gave a pretty dang good answer given he had just lost. It's his second language and he's not a paid wordsmith. Um, so we, 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 we like Giannis. And then we think that the big lesson for us to take away is exactly what Steve said, this notion, and you put it so well, that like caring needs to result in misery after a loss, which is not true. And... Um, just this notion of two things can be true at once. Like when you're playing the finite game, the infinite game can melt away and all you can care about is that finite game. But once the buzzer rings, once the promotion announcement's been named, once the book's been published, whatever it is, it's actually really healthy to absorb what happened and learn from it. But then remind yourself that like the ultimate game for all of us is life. And then under the ladder, it's to be, the best athlete, to be the best writer, to be the best manager, to be the best attorney, to be the best physician, whatever it is. When you're doing that surgery or you're on that case, then that's all that matters. But once that surgery or that case ends, you got to be able to zoom out. Absolutely. I think the ability to flip the switch on and off and then zoom in when you need to and zoom out when when you need to are two of the most important skills that you can have. And you look at it, really good athletes, generally, not always, but generally have those abilities and, and can turn those, 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 or flip those switches and zoom in and zoom out as well. And you do um, have to care enough to be able to do that, to, to turn the switch on. Because like I go to my biggest struggle in my own training is I can't, I don't feel like I can fully turn the switch on anymore. 
because I just don't care that much. Like I, I can't bury myself. An RPE 10 is probably an RPE 9 because I just like, I don't care to bury myself. It, you know, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with um, a, a running friend who relayed this story to me. So I'll, I'll relay it to our audience. And this is him having the conversation. But he had a conversation with a, a former professional runner who made the Olympics and did some great stuff. And he asked him, when did you know it was time to retire and quit? And the former pro runner said, whenever I couldn't go to that deep, dark place anymore. And to me, that's like that flipping that switch, right? Is like, there's variations of it based on kind of like when, if we care and the importance and the motivation and the value behind it. And sometimes like we're not going to go be able to go to that 10 out of 10. Sometimes you might only go to the nine or the eight or the seven or what have you. And, you know, that's okay in most things at life. You know, you're not trying to be the best, I don't know, deadlifter that you can, Brad. You're not trying to, you know, do, you're trying to improve, but not be the best potential deadlifter that you could ever. Um, So it's probably healthier to not go to 10 out of 10. I mean, it's similar in running. I think if I look at, you know, the only time I've kind of flipped that switch in the last, I don't know, four-ish years of my life in running is when I was, it was, I think, my last year of coaching at Houston where we did a team relay race and I got drafted into the relay race and I hadn't really been training much, but I was like, oh my gosh, like I got a, some of the athletes I'm coaching counting on me and I need to make a statement here. So that gave me enough juice to be like, okay, let's go to that place I haven't been. But besides that, like if you asked me to go down the track and do that, similarly, I I would probably bail out instead of pushing that extra couple percent, uh, even if you told me to. Yeah, exactly. And I can push that extra couple percent, and I do. Like I'm working on a piece for the the New York Times opinion page, for example, and like I am pushing for every single word in that piece to be the right word. Um, and I feel like you just can't do it all. I mean, it gets to that quote, like "Make your bed." How you do anything is how you do everything, which is total bullshit. Because like if I tried as hard. I buried myself as much at the gym as I did in some of these other areas of my life, the other areas would suffer. Um, I think that like maybe a better heuristic is almost identify the right effort for the task and apply the right effort. And sometimes the right effort is to do it perfectly or as close to perfectly as possible, but sometimes it's not like, you know, your liver transplant surgeon, I want them to make the liver transplant surgery perfect, but I don't care how they make their bed. Yeah, exactly. No, I hate that quote because it's like the antithesis of what hey, I've lived and seen in other performers is again, I've lived in the endurance running world and I'll I'll tell you some of the hardest working people who are, you know, putting in a hundred plus miles a week and doing crazy stuff are crazy lazy at other things. And they probably should be when they're doing that because like who wants to take the time and energy to make their bed or, you know, finish X, Y, and Z. And that's, that's just kind of the reality of it. And I think too often we have these kind of idealized notions and, and this kind of comes back to the failure piece is like, 
you have to be able to put things in perspective and learn when to care and also when not to care or put a little bit care, but know that if you care too much, almost you're going to kind of like become attached and it's going to make you miserable. So you have to figure out ways to kind of not care. Again, the basketball example is if you care so deeply about every shot, you're, you're going to become a mess because you need to let go of those shots that sucked. Right. And like, Focus on the next one. So even within something that you care about, like it's it's kind of like letting go as well. So it's it's those skills that kind of all intertwine and and really get to add this nuance instead of again this kind of black or white world. Which sometimes we think, you know, uh, I think on the outside we think it's how it is, but once you deal with the messiness of performing, you realize that it's not. Let's end with uh, quoting the great poet T.S. Eliot, who said, uh, teach us to care and teach us not to care. And um, I think that those are really wise words because uh, we like to say that it's either or, but it's uh, it's both and, and it's in the right application at the right time. I'm going to give, I'm going to say not in there. I'm going to give one more example because this just came to my mind. To me, it's like sprinting. Oh, God, Steve. I'm going T.S. Eliot, full-on killer quote from a poet, and Steve is going to talk about running. Here we go. It is. Because it's running running is poetry. It is. It is. You know, Steve Prefontaine said that running was art. So I think it is. But anyways, I think this is the (laughs) the best example of the tension there. If you are a sprinter, what do you have to do? You have to apply so much force into the ground maximum force in a very short amount of time. It's crazy. But in order to do that, you know how you do it best? You have to learn how to relax while giving maximum effort. If you try and force your way, if you try and create tension, if you try to give that effort, it's going to backfire, you're going to tense up, and you're going to get slower. So it's like holding these two things at once. It's like, I need to care, but if I care too much, I'm going to be like the sprinter who tenses up and performs worse. So it's like caring, but also not caring at the same time. Sprinting, giving max effort, but also relaxing at the same time. There you go. If you like this podcast, uh, like I said, please share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your community members. Um, We're in a phase where we're trying to grow our message and and reach more people with um, our take on sustainable peak performance and excellence. And um, you'll get both poetry, philosophy, and psychology. And for the runners out there, you'll always learn a thing or two about running so long as Steve is still on this planet. Um, Steve's got no plans to go anywhere. So uh, we hope that you enjoyed the show. And um, you can learn more on the website, www.thegrowtheq.com. And uh, with that, we'll see you next week. Mm